You are listening to the Better Together podcast, brought to you by the National Association of Free Will Baptists. Welcome to the Better Together podcast, where we look for ways we can work together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, we have with us Jim Davis. He's the teaching pastor there at Grace Church uh, in Orlando, Florida. He's also the host of As in Heaven podcast. We also have Michael Graham. He's the program director of the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics, and he's the executive producer um, of As in Heaven podcast. And the reason we have these two gentlemen on our podcast today is they've written this book called The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? And so it's so good to have you here with us today, Jim and Michael. Thank you for taking the time to be on the Better Together podcast. Thanks for having us. Now, you guys put a lot of time uh, you've into this particular project. You're doing a podcast. You're pastoring a church in Orlando, Florida. What is it that led you to spend the time to do this research to engage in this particular important activity? Well, it started really as a, a project of cultural exegesis for our own, our own church. Mike used to be the executive pastor when I came on as the teaching pastor here. And we just began to look at our culture and try to understand where God has us to be fruitful in ministry. And we saw a Barna report that came out in 2018 that made the claim that Orlando had the same percentage of evangelicals as New York City and Seattle. And that really hit us, you know, started to think about that because Orlando feels very different than New York City and Seattle. And in the same, uh, the same research, made the claim that 42% of our city or metropolitan area, which is about would be 2 million people, 42%, used to go to church and no longer do. And that really clicked with us. All right, the people here who don't go to church, they used to go to church and they, they still carry with them some biblical values. They, they in many cases, it's, they might be Christians. Uh, and, and we anecdotally realized, well, most of the people we engage who don't go to church used to go to church. So then we wanted to do more. We wanted to read more about it, just understand and learn. And there really just wasn't any research. And and we began to to uh, feel strongly this is not just an Orlando problem. And we had this hunch that we could be in the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. Wow. And so we uh, we were introduced by a, a friend to Ryan Burge, who is a true social scientist. And because there's no research out there, we commissioned him and uh, and Dr. Paul Jupe, so they're, they're social scientists and Christians, uh, to do the this nationwide quantitative academically peer-reviewed study, um, and it in fact proved that we are in fact in the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country as about 40 million adult Americans uh, who used to go to a house of worship no longer do. The majority of that has happened in the past 25 years. And so by comparison, the previous largest shift was the 25 years post-Civil War, and our current shift is 25% greater than that, just going the opposite direction. And in by num- terms of numbers, uh, it's larger than the first Great Awakening, second Great Awakening, and all of the Billy Graham Crusades combined. So we we did two more phases of research to understand why they're leaving, where they're going, and we did a deep dive on evangelicalism, really just to understand it. We were going to use this in our podcast. Never really had any aspirations of writing a book until it kind of got out that we own this data that, that shows proves that we are in fact in the largest and fastest religious shift. So. Uh, when presented with that opportunity, we decided we'd love to continue to work on this, and, and that's how the book came about. 
Wow. So you guys really are just trying to be good pastors in Orlando. Uh, you see things happening, but really you tapped into something. 15.5% of the population, 40 million people. All of us know de-churched folks. So there's something really going on, uh, isn't it? So who are the de-churched? Who are these people? Yeah, so in our study, uh, we developed six different profiles, um, four different types of profiles for people who are who left evangelical churches, and that's about 15 million people, and then uh, a profile for people who left the mainline church and Roman Catholic church. So together, the Roman Catholic and mainline de-churching are a little bit larger than the um, evangelical de-churching, say 20 million people more or less. Um, but the with respect to the people who left evangelical churches, uh, we developed four profiles. Um, we developed that extensively in the book. We have a chapter on each of these different profiles. Um, those are cultural Christians, about 8 million of them. Um, there are mainstream evangelicals um, who have left. There is a group of people that we call ex-evangelicals who have left. And then there's a group of um, entirely non-white people um, um, who have also left. And so um, we go into tremendous detail on each of those different profiles um, because they are very, very different. The reasons why they left, the reasons why they would be willing or unwilling to return vary pretty widely. And you can read about all of those things in the book, The Great Dechurching. And so that's why we really encourage folks to do a deep dive, to take the book and uh, really think about who it is that you're dealing with it's across the board. You even mentioned Catholics, main lines. Uh, we're concerned, you know, you're thinking about evangelicals, which particular group. Why are these folks leaving? Because you you delve into that quite a bit as well. Can you give our listeners a little bit of a sense of why people have left the church? Yeah. And, and let me also, what I didn't say, the way we define a de-church person is someone who used to go to church on a, a on a monthly basis and now goes less than once per year so that doesn't even include the person like the person who just goes on christmas is technically churched so probably we're talking about a larger problem than even 40 million adult americans we just wanted to be conservative and clear in the and, and responsible in the way we did our research <clears throat> um but uh yeah so why they're leaving you know if you if you listen to uh, you know, the social media pundits, the New York Times, you would think that everybody leaving has deconstructed, uh, really isn't a Christian, pain points with the church, doesn't like the church. But the, the answer is actually a lot more boring. People, the, the number one reason for leaving the, the church is I moved. And so, you know, we, we developed these categories of casually de-churched and de-churched casualties. So the de-churched casualties, you know, these are the people who have real pain points. They left intentionally, but they're less than a quarter of the 40 million. The, you know, three quarters left unintentionally for pedestrian reasons. They, they left because they moved. They left because uh, life change. It, it hits the lower uh, income lower educated more than it does um, those with more resources because life transitions happen. They hit harder for people who have less resources. So they have to, uh, they don't have the safety nets. They have to work longer hours, more unusual hours. Um, and then, you know, one thing that I, I always want to say is it's happening everywhere. It, you know, th there's no region, no demographic, no uh, denomination, theological stream 
that is, you know, any other category that you can think of where it's not happening. Uh, now, certainly so, some categories is happening more significantly than others. Um, you know, we also think of those who are dechurching on the mainly on the political left, um, which was the case in the 90s and early 2000s. Now, those dechurching on the on the political or secular right are dechurching at twice the pace of the secular left, almost catching up, you know, to the full number of people who dechurched from the secular left. So, so why people are dechurching? They're largely more casual reasons, which we we actually interpret as good news because it's, it's there's 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 more low hanging fruit there. But um, certainly, we don't in saying that want to minimize the places where there are real pain and where there has been pastoral malpractice, and where churches really need to take a long look in the mirror. So, if you look and you all did this, you examine their beliefs. They tend to be orthodox in their beliefs. Uh, uh, they're conservative. Many of them are, as you mentioned, uh, but they've just got out of the habit of really the majority of them is what I hear you all saying is they've got out of the habit of going to church. So this is fascinating to me. And of course, you know, Mike talked about the different profiles, which we, you know, they're, they're, we could have four podcasts hour long on these. But we used machine learning to it's an algorithm to really mine the 7000 participants, the 600 data points for each one. And um, and so we I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I had a really important thought. So we mined them and we learned. Oh, I know where it was. You were talking about the orthodoxy. So we 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 rated their orthodoxy scores. And so when we say orthodoxy scores, we're talking about basic Nicene Creed Christianity. And so some of these groups have higher orthodoxy scores than than those who still go to church. And so in the mainstream de-church evangelicals, a hundred percent of them are willing to come back today. Yeah. And with the ex-evangelicals who are done with evangelicalism, 97% would say that Jesus is the son of God. So while they have left the church, uh, it doesn't seem like they've left the faith. Now, others, like the cultural Christians, it seems like they were never Christians in the first place, which is on one hand sad, but it, it feels right that we would call them what they are. So there's some clarity in that. Yeah. There's the, the understanding of the theology of those who have, uh, who have left. But it is surprising someone says, yes, Jesus is the son of God and the Bible is the word and and not going to church is what it's not what you read in the New York Times and places, is it? It's not. So what can we do to get these folks back? It sounds like they they believe many of them believe as we believe. What can we do to get the deep church back into church, so to speak? Because there's great consequences if they don't come back, aren't there? I'll start, and I'm sure Jim can add where you know where I'm deficient. But I, the first thing is you need to get educated, and so th there are just vast differences on how you would want to relate to each of the different profiles, and it will be very obvious, um, you know, in the, if you you know make yourself aware of the you know read the book, make yourself aware of the different profiles of like, oh, okay, this person you know kind of fits this profile. You know, some people will fit a pro like a single profile to a T. Other people would be like, yeah, they're a little bit of this one and a little bit of that one. But, you know, how you relate to each of those 
different groups varies very widely because the reason the animated reasons for why they left the concerns that they might have about you know as it pertains to their willingness to return i mean look and look in the best piece of news in the whole book and we we came out of you know the research far more encouraged and hopeful than what we thought kind of going in was because you know over half the people who left evangelical churches are willing to return today i mean you're talking i mean one of these profiles to one of these profiles left on average about 25 years ago and 67 percent of that group is willing to return to an evangelical church today i mean can you can you think of a single habit in your life that you haven't done for 25 years that you're willing to just pick up you know i mean so you know some of that stuff is just kind of mind-blowing in, in terms of you know there's a lot of hope in the middle of all this that um we, we need to get over the mental barrier that um inviting somebody somebody to church could be a relationship ending um, conversation. It just yeah. doesn't look like it is. And for the people where it might be a relationship ending conversation, um, you'll know, you'll know whether, you know, whether the, you know, that is or not. And so and I think that leads me to kind of the second point, And that is, um, you know, beyond getting educated, it's just embodying relational wisdom in terms of how we relate to people. And, you know, that relational wisdom first is on the individual by individual basis. Um, we, we, we unpack a whole chapter on what, you know, what are some of the core tenets of relational wisdom and what kind of awarenesses we need to have on that in the book. Um, and then, then we need to be building um, local church institutions that are increasingly healthy. Hmm. And so the way that people relate to our local churches is really important. And so we want people to be able to um, have uh, just a really healthy experience with, you know, how they, you know, their relationship to, you know, to our churches. And so I think that means, you know, at the simplest and highest altitude, it means we need to be promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ and showing how that gospel is true. It is good for us and it presents a beautiful vision for the world. And it need, we need to be able to do all three of those things at the same time. You know, in the 20th century, it was enough to just communicate that the gospel was true. And that was a, that was a compelling enough reason for people to be churched. Um, we're not finding that that is a compelling enough reason on its own for people to be, you know, in church today. People need to know that, you know, Jesus is you know, he has a good, he has a good vision for them. He has a vision that promotes human flourishing. And that vision for promoting human, human flourishing is something that's beautiful. And so, you know, those are some, those are some, those are three things that are maybe a little bit more high altitude. If you want to start getting really nuts and bolts, um, you know, moving is an emergency. Okay. So anytime somebody is incoming to the city, or outgoing from your community into a different community, well, that's a pastoral emergency. So every local church needs to have a game plan for how are they going to engage the arrivals, and they need to have a game plan for what are they going to do for the people who are departing, for the people who are you know moving to a different community. Well, you know you need to have a plan institutionally in your church of how are you going to help people find a really healthy local church in the new community where they're moving and you stay with them and you walk them through that process until they you know find um you know deep connection and ideally membership um in a new local church in that community and 
you, you have to have some form of strategies or tactics in terms of what it looks like to be able to engage people who are moving into your city. You know, how do you find them? Um, what does it look like? Is that more organic? Is it, are those technological things? Are those, you know, male, you know, I, we're agnostic on the, the strategies that are there, but you need to have you know, some strategies to that end. And if you're interested in some of the more kind of nuts and bolts institutional resources, um, in addition to the Great Dechurching book, which you should read first, um, but if you're listening to this and you're a pastor or somebody in full-time ministry, we built an entire website called dechurching.com. And on that website, we've created a 20-point audit for your local church as an institution to kind of see, okay, how are we doing on these 20 different areas that all kind of deeply impact dechurching? And so that 20-point audit is there. It's free. You can um, access that. And then if you want basically worksheets on how to make improvements on each of those 20 areas, there's a resource um, that's available for purchase to the end. But you'll definitely, you know, if you're in, you know, a pastoral ministry, you'll definitely want to check out dechurching.com. Go ahead and take that audit with um, your key stakeholders, you know, in your institution. So those would be four areas. I'm sure um, Jim has some other thoughts in terms of some other things that we can do. What do you have there, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that, that was really good, Mike. Uh, I, I mean, I think we have to, as churches, I'm going to speak more institutionally here. Uh, there is a back door and there's a front door and everybody wants to know what do I do to get people on the front door but we really we really have to look at the back door take a, a long look at why our people are leaving that's gonna be different for every church but there there's a discipleship issue here um, and so there's a, there's a, depending on the type of church the back doors look very different um, but I can remember you know when, when we get to the front door um, you know, this, I, I, this is more of a back door and front door issue, but there was a mom, a Christian mom I know, uh, who asked me if we would ever have a Saturday evening service. And I said, well, why do you, why is that so important? She said, well, my, uh, I have three kids in seven travel sports leagues. Sunday morning's never available, but once a month we could make a Saturday evening service. And, and she's a friend and I was nice, but basically I was like, well, you're going to have to decide. This is a priorities issue. This is a discipleship issue. Our culture increasingly is pushing against the rhythms that we as a church have established. Um, but I also think we need to look at Mike. Mike opened this door. When is somebody at highest risk for dechurching? Moving, all right. If whether you're on the receiving end or the sending end, there's a lot you can do. The ages of 13 to 30. So typically, we're talking about high school, college, and establishing your young professional career. Um, that's high risk of dechurching. So uh, for us, we're rethinking all the ways that we invest in in those different stages. Um, when somebody becomes a single parent, however that happens, especially if they don't make a lot of money or have a solid family structure, they become an emergency for us. And we've seen a lot of fruit in doing that. So those are just kind of some of the things that 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 we're thinking through. But I, I you know, I want to kind of touch on something you said in the very beginning. Like this, we're not just trying to get people in the seats and money in the bank account. Like this is a generational opportunity because the children of the de-churched will likely be unchurched. They won't grow up with the same uh, the same values and understanding as the de-churched do have at this point right now. So, you know, the de great de-churching is going to end. <laughs> Whether it's a revival or everybody leaves, like it's going to end, this era is going to end. But we have such a great opportunity in front of us to engage 
what seems to be millions of Christians in a discipleship way to bring them back and to address the back door in our own church in hopes of, of really investing in, in, you know, generationally. Oh, absolutely. Well, wow. You guys have given us a lot to think about and really people, you know, they need to read the book. They need to check the book out and I'm encouraging folks to do that. As you look at the title, and you kind of alluded to it, the great dechurching, it sounds scary. It sounds like it's going to be morbid and like the death of Christianity. But I think you said it might. It was so encouraging. And it's so encouraging to me as a former pastor and a guy that works with churches. It feels like we just need to give them a little bit of a nudge. And uh, and we can study, study their profiles, know who we have to be careful about. And you kind of alluded to this. We don't really have to be worried. It's not a relationship ending conversation. You talked about how they can know who is and who that wouldn't be. But then you guys have just given such practical information. Think about people moving, moving into your community and moving away. Um, And it's not about, you know, people in the seats. It's not about money. That person's moving to another town. We've not discipled them. We've not handled them well if we don't hand them off or if they don't get involved in another church. So, wow, good good information. So, dechurching.com, uh, right? My, That's right. The website. So, we encourage folks to look, take that little inventory and uh, examine the situation that you find yourself in, your particular church. And as Mike has Mike mentioned there, you know, develop a strategy. Think about how you can pass people off to uh, another church when they move and how you can reach people coming in. Jim, Mike, anything uh, we need to cover before we close out today? Well, we've covered a lot. I think that one of the things that we've been talking about is this this category of de church mainstream evangelical. Just ident- the lowest hanging fruit here: two point five million people in America. Identifying that um, those people and engaging them, inviting them to church. Some people just need a nudge. Some people need to be at your dinner table first, and some people are going to take a long time. And the Holy Spirit's really going to have to do something. But um, but in every single case, there's hope. Absolutely. Good job. So we encourage you, if you're listening today, take a look at this book. We encourage you to read it. I encourage other folks within your church to read it as well. Start identifying who some of these individuals are. Think about people moving in, moving out of your community. And uh, as these two have mentioned, you know, someone that's newly a single mom, newly widowed and so forth, think about ministering to them. So Mike, Jim, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And thank you for taking the time to, to write this book. We appreciate the research and the hard work that you guys put in to do this. Well, thank you, Eddie, for having us and for doing this. Thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. And we want to thank you, our listeners. Thank you for joining us today. Remember, every little thing we do really does matter. Take this podcast, share it with someone that would benefit because we truly are better when we work together for the cause of Christ. Thank you for joining us today.